0: If you have your Bibles, I want you to join me in Mark chapter 6, Mark chapter 6, and uh, please don't leave right after the service. We're going to honor the Lashenyas this, this Sunday. This is Dave and Pam's last Sunday, and, and man, what, I, I don't even want to talk too much about that, I'll start gushing. Dave, Lashenia, and Pam, they have been amazing disciples and followers of Jesus Christ and great examples for me. and. So I want you to stick around and, and share a meal with us today as we honor their time with us and send them off well. Mark chapter 6, I'm going to pick right up where Dr. Stevens left off. I, call, I like calling him Doc. Didn't he do an amazing job handling that text like three weeks ago? Yeah, and so did Eric. Eric did an amazing job. We have some good teachers here in this church, man. I'm going to get y'all beyond the golf clap one of these days. (laughs) Ryan did a great job. If you remember where Ryan left off, he left off having talked about how Jesus pulled his disciples together, gave them specific instruction to obey, and then sent them out two by two. And because they obeyed Jesus and what he had told them to do, they were able to see some incredible things. They were able to do what Jesus did. They healed the sick. They cast out demons. They addressed the afflicted. Um, And and the anointing of God was on them just like it was on Jesus. Well, our passage today, in our passage today, the king heard about that. And that's what we're going to pick up. Uh, Today is where the king, um, King Herod. What I want to say to you, though, before we get started is that this this passage of Scripture is a very direct passage. And my main takeaway from this Scripture for you today is this, that the truth matters. That the truth matters. See, we live in a day where many in in our culture believe that everything is relative everything is relative, that there is no absolute truth. It's a philosophy called relativism, have you heard of it? Relativism is a a philosophical position that that all points of view are equally valid. That all truth is relative to the individual and and to their own life's experiences. This family is the culture that we live in today. This is what we're faced with. But this is one of those texts today that's countercultural. It's one of those texts that's that's riveting in its expression and riveting in its clarity with regard to the importance of truth. I said to you several times, but several weeks ago, I remember saying this too, that occasionally there are passages of scripture that when you're teaching through the Bible, you get through the passage or to the passage, and it's so straightforward that you don't need to add much to it. This is one of those passages. So here's what I'm gonna do with this text today. I'm gonna to do four things. First, I'm gonna read the entire passage. And then there are two elements in this narrative, in this story that I'm gonna to touch on. And then I'm gonna show you it's relevant, the passage for relevance for us today. And then finally, I'm gonna give you several suggestions for how to address the sins that we face in our culture daily. Okay? So, you in Mark chapter 6? Yes, Pastor? This is a quiet church today. It's all right. Sometimes it's when we get quiet we can hear God speak the best. Mm Mm-hmm. But I don't, I don't necessarily want you to be quiet today. Just okay. Verse 14, I read the entire passage. King Herod said of it, said of what was going on with uh, what he had heard about the disciples and, and Jesus. King Herod said of it, for Jesus' name had become known. Some said John the Baptist has been raised from the dead. That is why these miraculous powers are at work in him. But others said he is Elijah, and others said he's a prophet, like one of the prophets of old. But when Herod heard of it, he said, John, whom I beheaded, has been raised from the dead. Lord, help me, help me, help me, because, man, I tell you, there's so many different ways I want to go with this right now. I just got to stay on task. For it was Herod who had sent and seized John and bound him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, because he had married her. For John had been saying to Herod, "It is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife." And Herodias had a grudge against him and wanted to put him to death, but he could not. But she could not, for Herod feared John, knowing that he was a righteous and holy man, and kept him safe. And when he heard him, when Herod heard John, he was greatly perplexed. And yet he heard him gladly. But an opportunity came when Herod, on his birthday, gave a banquet for his nobles and military commanders and leading men of Galilee. Uh, what, what opportunity? A opportunity for Herodias to do something about John the Baptist, who she despised. Okay? For when Herodias' daughter came in and danced, she pleased Herod and his guests. And the king said to the girl, ask me for whatever you wish and I will give it to you. And he vowed to her whatever you ask me i will give to you up to half the kingdom let me stop right there any kids in here yeah kids okay so i'll I'll give you the pg version okay herodias daughter's name was salome and this dance that she danced was not like you know like you know some dance that you see today that's just like really funny and kind of freaky kind of thing No, this dance was very sensual, it was erotic, it was provocative, it's called the dance of seven veils. it's a striptease, is what it was, and Herod had become intrigued with this dance, talk about that in just a minute, okay, so let's just keep going, whatever you ask me, I'm down in verse 23. And he vowed to her, Whatever you ask me, I will give to you up to half the kingdom. And she went out and said to her mother, Herodias, who wanted to have John killed, For what should I ask? And she said, For the head of John the Baptist. She came in immediately. Everybody say, Immediately. John, or Mark loves that word. With haste to the king and asked him, saying, I want you to give me at once the head of John the Baptist on a platter. The king was exceedingly sorry. But because of his oaths and his guests, he did not want to break his word to her. And immediately the king sent an executioner with orders to bring John's head. And he went and beheaded him in the prison, and brought his head on a platter and gave it to the girl. And the girl gave it to her mother. And when his disciples heard it, they came and they took his body and laid it in a tomb. I titled this sermon today, Just Tell the Truth. Just just tell the truth. In looking at this passage, two things jump out immediately. I mean, there are questions that jump out. and Here's the first one. Greg, would you die for the sake of Christ? I would venture to say that many of you in here, if I said to you right now, would you die for the sake of Christ, you'd raise your hand and say, I would, right? Yeah? Raise your hand if you would die for the sake of Christ. right? So if somebody came in right now, and put a gun to your head and say, deny Christ or I'll shoot you, you you are pretty confident that you die for the sake of Christ, right? Yeah, me too. I'm confident in that way. Now, some of the younger people, they're like, I don't know, Pastor. (laughs) (laughs) But this is a question that I want to ask you that I think in real time is a more difficult question to answer, and here it is. Will you tell the truth no matter what? Will you tell the truth every time, no matter what it costs you? Every time. Why is it so hard for us to tell the truth? Or maybe a better question is why do people prefer to lie or stretch or massage the truth rather than being direct in telling the truth? Dr. Crawford LeRidge says it this way, he says, we lie because we fear something. People lie because of the cost of telling the truth. Why? Because telling the truth is going to cost you something today. It's gonna cost you something. A couple weeks ago, probably three weeks ago now, uh, I'm getting a little stiff, I don't don't work out like I used to. I used to ride a lot, used to ride my bike, you know, the pedal bike. And now I ride my bike, you know. And so I used like, yeah, preach it, brother. Um, and so I, I'm not as flexible as I used to be. So, you know, I'm I'm getting a little stiff, so I went to see a doctor who I wanted to to see if there's some kind of physical therapy I can get into. And, you know, my wife and I start to exercise more, you know. But when I went to the doctor, he told me something that I wasn't expecting. He said, he said, um, he said, uh, your blood pressure is high. And I want to monitor your blood pressure for the next couple weeks. I want you to take your blood pressure twice a day. I want you to take it in the morning and in the evening. And then when you come back in a couple weeks, we're going to average your blood pressure out to see if we need to put you on, on medications. Will you, will you do that? I'm like, yeah, but you know, I ain't never taken a medication in my life. A matter of fact, I don't like taking pills routinely for anything, right? So I'm kind of, I'm wrestling with it, but I'm doing good, man, I'm doing good. I'm taking my blood pressure every morning and every night, right? Around five days into it, I take the blood pressure one day, one, once in the morning, I hadn't quite taken it at night. And my wife comes to me, and you know my wife is very direct. <laughs> you know, and she knows how to ask the right questions. She says, so Greg, um, did you take your blood pressure today? I said, yes, I did, which I did. She said, twice. <laughs> and, you know, in that moment, I'm thinking, man, you know, I'm thinking 1 John 1 and 9. You know, if I, if I don't to exactly tell the whole truth, that if you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive you of your sins, and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. I'm thinking, how in the world, for sake of relationship, can I get around telling the exact truth? But, you know, you can't. You got to tell the truth. You know, sometimes we try to stress the truth for sake of relationship, right? Okay, okay, how many married people in the house? Raise your hand. You know, it's sometimes the toughest thing to do is to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help you God to your spouse, right? Yeah. I didn't think I was alone. I know I'm the pastor and everything. Because we don't want to upset the relationship. Listen, it's conceivable that in in our message today, in our text today, that John could have saved face with Herod for sake of relationship with him. He could have done that. But listen, to hold back to truth when you should be telling the truth is never the right thing to do. So here's the first element of the narrative, narrative today. Truth knows no profile. It knows no, tr- no profile. John chose to tell the truth to someone that had control over taking or sparing his life. Let me talk to you a little bit about Herod today, um, the Herod mentioned here in verse 14. This Herod is Herod uh, the Tetrarch, he's named, uh, Herod Antipas. Um, he was one of the sons of Herod the Great, and he ruled in Palestine, actually about one quarter of Palestine, um, of Palestine, Galilee and Perea was was in his province. He ruled from 4 BC to AD 39. He was not a good ruler. He was a a wicked ruler, as a matter of fact. He was obsessed with power. He was of low moral character and integrity. He was often ruthless in his actions toward his subjects. He was very insecure in his position as a ruler. Here's what's interesting about Herod Antipas. He he actually, historians have traced his lineage all the way back to Esau, which means he had Jewish roots. And so here's why that's important. Because as, as, as a person with Jewish roots, he understood Jewish culture. He understood Jewish religion. And Herod Antipas would practice Judaism when it was beneficial for him. Hmm, he was not a good king. Herod Antipas was married to the daughter of uh, Aretas. He was an Arabian king, a very prominent Arabian king. This was his first wife. Let's talk about Herodias. Herodias was married to Herod Antipas' brother, Philip, his half-brother, who was also, um, he was one of the sons of Herod the Great. Philip and Herodias lived in Rome right? This is where it gets kind of nasty. It just gets, just, 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 this was the culture that they lived in. So Herod Antipas falls in love with Herodias. Now keep in mind that Herodias is also not only his sister-in-law but his niece. Aristobulus was another son of Herod the Great and Aristobulus was Herodias' father, so Herodias is is Herod Antipas' niece and his sister-in-law. So Herod goes to, to Rome, and he falls in love. He falls in lust with Herodias. Goes back to Rome, woo, uh, goes back to to his province, woo, woos her away from Rome. He divorces his wife she divorces her husband she moves in with him and they get married does that bother anybody else but me john the baptist saw this and john the baptist called them on their stuff now you know, I told you before, I think John is a unique character, man. I think if, if the story was written today, that John the Baptist would be one of those wilderness Alaskan mountain men casts that didn't come to, to Anchorage but like once a year. You know, guys with a full beard that, you know, they wear the same clothes for like four months, they don't shower or shave, nothing like that, and they come to town and you know they're kind of weird. John the Baptist reminds me of that kind of guy, <laughs> Right? So I don't think John the Baptist really cared about how he said what he said to Herod. So I I can imagine John in the courts of Herod Antipas, walking up to Herod and saying, Hey man, how's your brother's wife doing? I can imagine him saying to, to Herodias, Hey Herodias, heard from your husband Philip lately? You guys getting the picture? Herodias hated John the Baptist and was looking for a way to kill him. And so and so Herod had locked him into prison to keep him safe. But listen to what the text said. Even after even after he was locked into prison, Herod repeatedly went to visit John because there's something about the truth that he wanted to hear. John kept telling him, man, you're breaking God's law, dude. You're married to your brother's wife. You're breaking God's law. And here's what I want you to remember. He's talking to the Tetrarch. He's talking to the king of a quarter of Palestine. And here's the practical lesson in this. When it comes to telling the truth, when we're led by the Holy Spirit to tell the truth, we have no right to discriminate where, when, or who we tell it to. You see, the truth has no profile. The truth doesn't care if you're male or female. The truth doesn't care about your socioeconomic status. The truth is just the truth. And when the Holy Spirit tells us to tell the truth, we are obligated as followers of Jesus Christ to tell the truth. Everybody say, just tell the truth. Just tell the truth. truth. I heard somebody just scream it out. We have to tell it man doesn't matter how many of you know that god will put us in places with people that maybe the only opportunity for him for them to hear the truth will be you okay. got to tell it got to tell the truth so the truth knows no profile that's the first element here's the second sometimes telling the truth is hard You know just like in herod's case i believe that people deep down every person really wants to hear the truth they might not like it but they would rather you tell them the truth even if it hurts than to lie to them so here's the point i think as followers of jesus christ We have to stop thinking that somehow in the name of grace and mercy, we need to sugarcoat or stretch or water down the truth. If we want to challenge each other to to really grow in Christ-likeness, family, we cannot be afraid to speak the truth in love to each other. We have to. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4. Let's look at Ephesians chapter 4. Let's see what the Apostle Paul says about that. Ephesians chapter 4, for those of you who learn how to navigate your Bible, it's just to the right of Galatians. I used to say Galatians, but it's not Galatians, it's Galatians, and you biblical scholars used to correct me until I got it right. <laughs> Galatians chapter, I mean, Ephesians chapter 4. Speaking of truth and love. You there? Go to verse 11. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, the teachers, to equip the saints for work of ministry. I'm reading now the ESV. You might read a little different than yours. For building up the body of Christ until we all attain the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood or womanhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Why? So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning and craftiness and deceitful schemes." Man, how many of you know, man? There's, listen, the truth is so distorted today. People know how to bend the truth to make it sound like the truth, but sometimes it's a half-truth. And how many of you know that half-truths are more dangerous than full lies? And so what Apostle Paul is saying, he's saying, listen, man, there's all this stuff out there that would love to get you derailed. But watch this now. But rather, rather, here's how we grow. Rather, speaking the truth in love, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way unto him or into him who is the head unto Christ. From whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint which it is equipped When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. How do we grow as followers of Jesus Christ? We grow as we are courageous enough to speak the truth in love to each other. Proverbs tells us in Proverbs chapter 27, verse 5 and 6, open rebuke is better than hidden love. I love how King James says it, it's better than secret love. And watch this now, faithful are the wounds of a friend. Why? Because when a friend tells me the truth, the intent is never to hurt me, it's never to harm me. But the truth will hurt when its application is to bring correction, right? But here's the truth. If I apply the truth when it's revealed, will cause me to grow more Christ-like in my character, which should be the intent and the goal for every follower of Jesus Christ. Here's the reality, we don't always wanna respond to the truth because responding to it can be hard. We don't always wanna deal with the truth and so that's why I love Nestle in verse 17, how we sometimes when we don't wanna deal with the truth, we'll handle the truth. Verse 17 says, we seize it, we wrap it up, and we put it in prison. Mm. Yeah, so, so God sends someone to tell you the truth. And it's hard. And so you, you embrace it, you grab it, you're like, oh, I don't think I want to do nothing with that right now, so I'm going to wrap it up, and you put it away for another time. Mm. Don't change. Oh, oh, how about this? So God sends you to tell the truth to someone. huh? And then, and then you get afraid. You seize up, you seize the truth. And then you make excuses. I do too sometimes. Some, you're not alone. God, I just need to pray about that for a little while. Let me wrap that in <laughs> prayer. Huh? And then, and then put it away. It's like, man, you know, God, maybe this is not the right time. Maybe I'll wait a little while longer to I'm absolutely sure. You seize it, wrap it up, and put it away. It's never a good thing. But just like in our text today, how many of you know that the truth will haunt you? Just like Herod, man, John is alive again. He's being haunted by the truth. You can deny it, you can ignore it. You can wrap it up, you can tuck it away, but the truth will come back for you. And here's also what's true. Lies will eventually fall apart. Lies can be swept under the carpet, but the truth will always come back. I love what Dr. Martin Luther King said about the truth. He said, truth crushed to the earth will rise again. Just tell the truth. Tell it without compromise. Here's a statement for you. Avoid being in environments where you might compromise the truth. Avoid being in environments where you might compromise the truth. Avoid getting yourself in situations where you might compromise the truth. Avoid, avoid being in situations where you know, I've wrestled with this thing for, for a while, you know, but, but uh, I think I'll go over here, or I think I'll go see this person, or I think I'll go to this place, and you know that, that you have this propensity to, get, to lose focus, avoid those situations where you might compromise the truth. You following me? Okay. So now how does all this apply to us real time? I wanna answer that by asking three questions. First of all, how important is the truth of God's word to you? Here's what we believe here at LifeSpring. We believe that God's word is the final authority and has supreme authority over all of life. We believe that we don't have the option to obey it or disobey it. We believe that that God's word contains the standards and the principles by, by which we must live our lives. And here's the truth. We can't take from God's word what we want and what fits and leave the rest. We can't choose to obey some of it and disobey the rest and think that it's okay because it's not. We can't allow the culture that we live in, watch this now, to edit the truth for us, to shape the truth for us. We can't do it. We have to know God's word and we have to know that God's word is the final statement, it is the truth for how we must live our lives. I love what Jesus says in John 17 and 17. He says, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Most important. Here's the second question. How clear are we about what's right and wrong? The scripture will help us to delineate what's right and wrong. You know, um, about a month and a half ago, I was, I was in conversation with someone that's really, really dear to me. And they were pointing out the difference. Actually, they were talking to me about the difference between marriage and domestic partnership. And they said that there is no difference, no biblical difference between marriage and domestic partnership. And the way that they had, had expressed it, man, it really sounded good because the state that they live in embraces... Domestic partnership and gives the same right as marriage. Sounded good. I had to go to the scripture and see the difference between what a state sanctioned domestic partnership is and what a biblical covenant marriage is. How clear are you based on Scripture about what's right and wrong? How many of you know we are challenged every day with the validity of Scripture? How many of you know that? Okay. Here's the third question. Is it necessary for those around us to know what's right and wrong? Man, wow. Hold on to your chairs because here we go. Yes, it is. It's important. Jesus tells us in Matthew chapter 5, verse 13, that we are the salt of the earth. We are the light of the world. And he goes on to say that he is the way, the truth, and the life. And no man can come to the Father but by him. His transforming power resides in us. We're to be difference makers. We're to be Salt, but how will the world know what's right if we don't stand up for what's right? How will the world know what's truth if we don't stand up for the truth? Salt, so, so I, I can cook pretty good. Yes, I can. I, um, last night I made some, some slamming. Some slamming sweet—I just said some slamming. I say with attitude, some slamming sweet potato pies. Somebody said, "Hey, somebody say, I felt." I just felt it just then. No, so, slamming, and and for the sake of that, it wasn't just sweet potato pie. It was sweet potato pies. <laughs> Look, look, one of the ingredients I put in my pies, I'm not telling you all of them, man, because it's a secret, right? It's it's a secret. But one of the ingredients I put in my pies is coarse sea salt. Because coarse sea salt has a way of pulling out all of the flavors from the rest of the ingredients that's in the pie. And, And coarse sea salt, because it does that, gives the pie a very distinct flavor as it pulls all the flavors out. Truth has a distinct flavor and in this age of tasteless relativism and tolerance and affirmation the taste of truth is being lost in our culture and the only way to recover the taste of truth in this world is for us to be everybody say "Be." be be salt you're the salt of the earth Rob you're the salt of the earth Joe Lavon, Linda, Dinky, we're the salt of the earth. We don't have to be anything or try to concoct being anything. Jesus said we are. We just need to be who we are. Yes? If you have it, say amen. amen. Hallelujah. I just felt that Church of God in Christ thing coming on me <laughs> just then. I'm getting ready to close. <laughs> I am getting ready to close. You guys laughing? Say, as ah, ha, ha. I, say, no, I am getting ready to close. Okay. <laughs> hey, 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 Elder Brenner, I'm preaching up here today. <laughs> Never you mind about that. I'm on page four and a half of five, I tell you right there. (laughs) Okay. Hear this, man. I want to read this verbatim. I really believe that the Lord gave this to me and talked about being, being salt. If anyone feels good about my relationship with them and they don't know Jesus, what am I living? What am I modeling? If I have a friend who doesn't know Jesus and when they're around me, when we're around each other, we're completely comfortable with each other, completely comfortable, something is wrong. Two relationships, eternity hangs in the balance of both. You're friends with someone who, if they die without Jesus, they spend eternity separated from him. How can we be comfortable with that? If God calls us to be salt, and and salt salt stings when you put in a wound, and it's a preservative, and it cures things. If God has called us to be salt, how in the world can someone who's unsalted be comfortable with the salt in us? ought not be. But God has called us to the unsaved, to be who he's created us to be. We're called to the world to be salt. You guys with me? Let me close with this. I want to give you suggestions for how to respond when confronted by the sin that's prevalent in our culture. And Mitch, you can come to the piano, please, if you would. They're up there on the board, on the screen. First, make sure your own heart is clean. As this passage of Scripture where Jesus says, you know, how, why would you try to remove the splinter in your brother's eye and you got this big old log hanging out of yours? What's your motive of your heart when addressing the sin in the culture? Is your heart clean? Is your life clean? Even as you talk to the person about the sin issue in, the, in their life, is your heart pure in that area? Make sure that people know that we, disciples of Jesus, need God's grace just as much as they do. Remember that compassion puts a premium on the truth. We're to speak the truth in love, not in a condescending way. Don't apologize for the truth. That's a big one, man. Listen, it's one thing to feel bad about presenting the truth to someone knowing that the truth is gonna hurt. It's another thing to apologize for telling the truth. You see the difference? Never apologize for telling the truth. And then denounce sin. That word denounce means attack. When you know that there's a sin issue, if, if it's, whether it's prevalent in your life or the environment that you live in, ask the Holy Spirit to give you wisdom on how to address it. Exalt Christ in the power of forgiveness. When it comes to sin, listen, there is no sin ever committed that goes beyond the power of the cross. The cross of Jesus Christ has the power to heal any sin no matter how heinous it is. And then finally, remember, to not point out sin is to passively suggest that everything is okay. Will you stand with me? Just tell the truth, man. Just tell the truth. Listen, I, I can't tell you how many times is, because God gave me two weeks on this message. I was supposed to preach it last week and then we had that blowout service where we didn't even get to the message. You guys, was, You remember that? So I've been marinating on this for two weeks, man. And man, the message finds the messenger first. With every head bowed and every eye closed, nobody talking, no one walking unless you absolutely have to. Maybe you hear here today and the truth of God's word has shined a light on an area of your life where you haven't been as real as, as you should. Maybe it's a relationship that you've been wrestling with and, and you've, you've felt the nudge time and again for the Lord to tell you, man, you need to go speak the truth to that person. And the Lord has found you today and the Holy Spirit has located you today. Listen, right there in your seat, right there at your seat. Scripture tells us to him that knows to do good and doesn't do it, it's sin. Just ask the Lord to forgive you and give you another chance to speak the truth in love. Maybe you're here and you've never embraced the gospel of Jesus Christ and the truth of God's word today found you outside of relationship with a loving God and a loving Savior who is the only way, the truth, and the life that no one can come to the Father. No one can get to God in relationship but through him and today is your day. If that's you and you want to enter into a relationship with Jesus Christ for the first time, I want you to slip your hand up. We want to pray for you. Father, I pray for my brothers and my sisters today. I love my church family. I love them with with a deep love that I can't even even describe or explain, but here's what I know to be true, that you love them much more than I ever could. And so in the areas of their life that, that they need you, Lord, will you continue to reveal truth to them? Continue to call them deeper into relationship with you so that at the end of the day when we stand before you we get to hear you say well done my good and faithful servant. Help us to be faithful of the things that you've given us. Help us to live our lives according to the truth of your word I pray. In Jesus name. Amen.